Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Take a Bible. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. I'll read verses 14 through 24 here in just a little bit. I was reading a story about James L. Kraft, who was the founder of Kraft Foods. And, and it talked about how when he was a young man, he had this desire to become the most famous manufacturer and distributor and salesman of cheese in the world. Yes, everyone has their own kind of goals. His was cheese, and we are thankful for it, especially lovers of his mac and cheese and other things like that. But he had this dream when he was a young boy. He planned on becoming rich and famous by making and selling cheese. And so he began as a young fellow, and, and he had this wagon that was pulled by this pony named Patty, and after making the cheese, he would load up the wagon, and he and Patty would kind of go along down the streets of Chicago, and, you know, they would try and sell the cheese, but then he got kind of discouraged because after all those hours of making the cheese and trying to sell the cheese, he, he just wasn't making a lot of money doing that. And as he tells it, you know, one day he pulled his pony to stop, and he began to speak to his pony because I guess no one else was around to listen. And so he said, okay, Patty, there's something wrong. We're not doing something right. I think that we have our, we have things turned around. We have our priorities turned around. Our priorities ought not to be what they should be. And then he said to Patty, his pony, you know what? Maybe we ought to serve God first. Maybe we ought to put God first in our lives. And he was a young, young boy. He went home and he made a covenant that he kept for the rest of his life that he would serve God. And then he would do as God directed. He would work as God directed. So he, he did that. He served the Lord faithfully including being the Sunday school director in his church. You know, imagine that. Now, all of a sudden, he's a successful businessman. He's the director of Sunday school. But this is how he assessed things. He, he, he wrote this. He said, you know, I would actually rather be a layman in North Shore Baptist Church, where he went, than to be the head of the greatest corporation in America. My first job is serving Jesus. You hear that? Crap. You know, maker of Kraft mac and cheese and all the other Kraft products. My first job is serving Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand why I'm using that story. I'm not saying, well, you know what? If you put Jesus first, you're, you're going to be successful in all that you do. There's no guarantee of that. That's not scriptural. That's not the point. You have to understand what Kraft realized. He realized you need to stop stooping down and focusing your energy on things that are not as important as Christ. And there is nothing as important as Christ. If he would, if he would serve anything lower than Jesus, he was actually wasting his serve. He was wasting his service on on the wrong things. And quite frankly, when we put time and effort in serving anything 
be it ourselves, serving ourselves, be it serving the world, be it, you know, serving in order to get the most out of the world that we can get, we're never going to be satisfied. We're never going to find any sort of satisfaction. We think the world is going to satisfy us. It won't. We try and service the world to try and get more out of the world, but that's just not going to work. Our first priority is serving God and let Him take care of us. Let Him direct us. Let Him figure out all the other details, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and then He'll take care of all that rest of this stuff, all that other stuff. That's what Jesus said. In the passage we're looking at, you know, the, the, the Israelites had to come to that realization just like, like we do. And so in, in the passage, Joshua challenges the Israelites. You've got a decision to make. You will either have a life of service to God or you'll have a life of service to that which is lesser, that which is minor, that which is secondary, really not even secondary. And this is the principle I want us to walk away with today. If our life is not dedicated to serving God, then we are wasting on our life and our service on things that are inferior. If our life is not dedicated to serving God, then our life is wasted on serving that which is inferior. We don't want to waste our serve on that which is not eternal, that which is not important. Our lives here are short. We only have a short amount of time to serve that which is right. And that which is right is our God. So we have a choice to make. What are we going to do with our service? I want to read verses 14 through 24, if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read this passage. This is Joshua speaking to the Israelites. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And, and, And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I just pray that you help us get our priorities right. I mean, that's always a struggle. Getting our priorities right, who we will serve. 
So often it's ourselves, but Lord, that's nowhere near as important as serving you, the eternal God, because that service will have eternal consequences. So help us to get that straight, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. There's several considerations I want to try and touch upon today we, as we think about, okay, who we serve, how we serve, why we serve, you know, things like that. What is this service so we can get that straight? So the, the first thing I want you to notice and in, in context of, of the whole passage is that worship is implanted in this service. I want you to see the worship that's implanted in, in, in service. I mean, yes, obviously serve is a very important theme in this passage, if I counted correctly, serve is mentioned at least 14 times in this passage. So I think we, we, we understand kind of the major theme of this particular passage. But we need to understand the context of that service and the context of the service that Joshua is trying to pull out of these Israelites is, is related to the theme of worship. In fact, if you look at Scripture as a whole, you're going to see that worship and service are connected, and sometimes they're used interchangeably. And so what that means is the two go together. Worship entails service. And when you serve, you worship. And so to utilize some other scriptural phraseology, what Lord has joined together, let no man tear apart. Let no man separate. Worship and service go together so for example we, we see this in scripture you look at the temptation of jesus and the devil says to him all right i'll tell you what you worship me here's all these kingdoms in this in the world i'm in charge of them you worship me and i'll give you them you can have them you can do with them what you want and, and so jesus answers him and quotes deuteronomy 6 13 and, and this is the, the Luke 4, 8 version. Jesus answered the devil, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Worship and serve. I want you to, to consider also what Paul says in Romans, in Romans chapter 12. You know, he gives this whole big first 11 chapters theological treatise on the gospel. I mean, that's the... To me, the deepest of all the scriptures. And I mean, there's just so much there. And so and then he, he begins chapter 12 with the practical parts. This is your reaction. This is what you do in light of what God has done through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. That's the ESV. The New King James Version ends that verse saying, which is your reasonable service. The New American Standard and the, and the New Legacy uh, Standard Bible, they put it kind of together. They end that verse saying, which is your spiritual service of worship. And the word that's used there means worshiping God by serving God, or I suppose you could flip that around and say when you serve God, you actually worship God. Service and worship are put together throughout both Old and New Testaments. You cannot separate that. We sure do try in the 21st century trying to separate worship and service because we have turned our concept of worship into a spectator sport. 
You know, I, I will sit in the pew and, and I will stand when I'm supposed to stand. But I'm going you know, to watch the worship team up on the stage do their thing. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to pretend I'm listening to the preacher's sermon and watch him do his thing. And then I can leave and I can tell people, and I can feel good about myself, I tell people, yeah, I went to worship. All the time, not only on Sunday morning, but through the week, sitting like bumps on a log. Now, most definitely, worship entails praises. Oh, praise the Mighty One. That is worship. But that worship, that praising that we do, that praising that Brian leads us in, it should move us to then go and do. It should move us to serve God. We should leave here saying, yeah, I'm going to find ways to serve God and make an impact for eternity. Because if we think that praising is just, all right, let me stand up. I, I might even raise my hands. And that's pretty daring for a Baptist, you know. Raising your hands. Woo! And then go out and live our lives for ourselves. We've missed the point. Worship includes service and service is a way of worshiping joshua makes that connection here when you choose to serve the lord you're going to be worshiping him but if you choose to serve these other gods guess what you're going to be worshiping them you know everyone is going to serve someone and therefore everyone is going to worship someone and so we have a choice am i going to serve the Lord or am I going to serve myself? Am I going to serve the world? Am I going to serve the world system? Now, yeah, service entails, you know, service and worship entails serving other people. But am I doing it for the right reasons? That leads to my second point. We need to talk about the motivation behind our service. The motivation behind our service. So I guess, you know, to get within the context of, of this passage, Joshua is old and he's getting close to death. And he's giving them a final challenge about, I mean, what are you going to do when I'm gone? He, they had Moses and then they had Joshua. And then it's like, well, who, who's there going to be? So he, he gives them this challenge. Who are you going to serve when I'm gone? When I'm dead, who are you going to serve? He wants them to choose the Lord, but, you know, he gives them the option. You, you can choose and serve Yahweh. You can choose to serve the Lord, or I suppose, I mean, if you wanted to, you could serve the gods of your fathers across the river. You know, before, Ab before Abraham, all your ancestors, they worshipped all these other gods. Then God called Abraham out. You could serve them. You could serve the gods of Egypt. You could serve the gods of the Amorites, the Canaanites, who you just drove out. So you got this choice. But the way he's putting it, and I don't know if it comes out really good in English, is, you, you, I mean, come on, do you really have a choice? You, you, you have the privilege 
of serving Yahweh God, but I mean, I suppose if you wanted to, you could serve these other gods, but I mean, who would want to? Who would want to serve these other gods? I mean, that's like choosing between a mud pie and a steak. Come on, who's going to choose the mud pie? Why would you want to stoop so low and serve these other gods? Why, why would you want to waste your time serving these things that are so much lower? And so to, to kind of help them with their decision, because like all human beings, we're kind of slow on the uptake, and we need a lot of help, we need a little motivation, you know, we need to be moved in the right, toward the right motivation, and things like that. So he talks, he gives some uh, points about what our motivations should be, because we can have a lot of wrong motivations. I mean, yes, serving God entails serving other people, but you know, we, when we do it, why are we doing it? Because we could be doing it all for the wrong reason. Well, you know, I, I, I'm serving God and serving other people, but I just want people to think highly about me. Or, you know, I do it because I'm just wired to be a people pleaser. Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing it because I want to build a network and become successful. Those are not, those are wrong motivations, by the way. So why, why, you're not motivated by that. And so Joshua lists several good motivations. Here's why you serve God. One, just out of fear of the Lord. Because you fear the Lord. In verse 14, that's the first thing out of his mouth. Fear the Lord. We may not like that, but that is a biblical concept. It is everywhere. We're told the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. And you'll find that the fear of the Lord is associated with worship and service throughout Scripture as well. But, you know, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, what, what is that? We don't like that word. I don't like fear. Try and get away from fear as much as possible. But, but fear of the Lord is awe. It's reverence. It's, it's reverence with regard to his nature. It's reverence with regard to his power. It's reverence with regard to his, his character. I just re I revere God because of who he is and what he can do. I mean, it... it yeah, it does entail a bit of a sense of the word fear, like we would think about the word fear, but, but for those who have trusted in Christ, those who honor the Lord, those who worship the Lord, it's not like a, a terror. I mean, it's not like whatever, you know, your worst fear is and that terror comes. I mean, you see this creepy clown and you're like, eh, terror. It's not that kind of fear. It's a healthy respect for who God is and what he can do. I mean, he is the eternal God who created everything. God has the power to do what he will according to his nature and his character. I mean, we have to think about this. God has the power to wipe us all out if he would want to. But he doesn't choose to do so because of his character. But you have to fear and respect that kind of power. And that ought to motivate you to serve him. But it, I mean, it doesn't keep you from approaching him. It doesn't keep you from relating to him. But yeah, it ought to move you. It ought to motivate you to just keep things in proper perspective. I mean, it's just like a healthy relationship between a child and, and, and a parent. I mean, as, as a parent, I'm not some sort of tyrant where my children were terrified of me. Yeah, now after service, they're going to joke around and talk about how mean and ugly, but no. They, they, 
they, they knew they could always come to me. You know, I tried to lead a life of integrity where they could look up to me. But also, in the back of their minds, they knew I had the power of discipline. And so there was a respect, hopefully, for the person that I was as well as the power that I wielded. We might, call, we might use the term healthy fear. Well, we have that with the Lord. Because of who he is, because of the power that he wields, we have a healthy respect, we have a healthy fear. And that motivates us to serve him. But a second motivation that Joshua mentions is there is gratefulness toward the Lord. Not only fear, gratefulness, we like that word a little bit better. In verses 17 through 18, the Israelites, they recount all these things that God had done for them. He, he brought them out of Egypt. He took them out of slavery. He did great signs. He drove out the people out of the land, the Amorites out of the land before them and things like that. You know, th th this is them saying, you know, God has done such great and mighty things for me. Out of gratitude, I'm going to serve the Lord. Remember what the Lord has done and let that motivate you to serve him. I mean, if in the readings that we've been doing and some of the passages that I've been preaching out of, that's kind of a recurring theme. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what God has done for you. Do this so you remember what God has done for you. That's supposed to motivate you to obey him and to serve him. And you know what? We all have to admit God has blessed us in so many different ways. As the hymn says, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. But the greatest gift that is given to us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ died. Christ risen, Christ returning, sin forgiven, death defeated, life bestowed. That's the greatest act of God in our lives, that he would save a sinful people like us. There's nothing greater than the salvation that he offers. But everything that God has done for us is a motivation to serve him. A third motivation is the holiness of the Lord. The holiness of the Lord, in verse 19, Joshua reminds them he's holy, what does that mean? Well, theologian J.I. Packer, he says, when we call God holy, we are saying that he is set apart from creation and is an object of our awe, adoration, as well as our fear. It covers all aspects of his transcendent greatness and moral perfection, and thus is an attribute of all his attributes, pointing to the godness of God at every point. God's holiness reminds us, you know what? God is not, not like one of us. He is not one of the boys, so to speak. And so you don't just treat God like you treat anybody else. There is an awe, there is an adoration that should be given to him because there is none like God. There is, no, there is nothing like God. He alone is God. Everything else is creation. Angels, whatever other spiritual beings, you know, demons, they were all creation. Humans, nothing but creation. God is the uncreated creator. He's the creator. And so we just can't ignore him. We just can't take him for granted. We can't treat him like an object of use. You know, he's not just like another tool in our tool belt that we just pull out whenever we think we, 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 we need God. I need a hammer. I need a wrench. Oh, here, I'll pull out God when I need him. No, he is holy. He is eternal. He is not going to be ignored. And so his holiness drives us to serve him. 
And then a fourth motivation is jealousy of the Lord. The Lord is jealous, and we don't like that word either. In verse 19, Joshua says he is a jealous God, and we have, you know, we have the negative human connotation of that, that we associate with that word, but that's not God's kind of jealousy. What it means for God to be jealous is that, well, he knows that he is the greatest good in the universe. He is the greatest good for his creation. He is holy and he deserves and demands complete and utter loyalty. He will not share the affections of his creation with anyone else because there's no one else worthy of that. There's none greater. God is protective of the adoration and the loyalty he should, re he should receive. God is protective of his name. God is protective of his character. He is not going to share the adoration of his creation with anything else. He will not put up with it. And he shouldn't put up with it because he is God. I mean, think of it this way. What if I told my wife that even though I love her, and all that. You know what? Even though you're deserving of all my adoration and things like that, eh, you know, I think I'm going to date around. I might even marry three or four other women as well. But you know what? I'll still show you affection here and there. Give that. Don't, don't start any rumors, by the way. This is just an example. I mean, would she not have the right to be jealous? as well as kick you out of the house, hit the road, Jack, don't you come back, no more, no more, no more, right? Here's the, the thing. Because of who she is, because she is my wife, she alone deserves my complete loyalty. And she would rightfully be jealous if that loyalty went anywhere else. But guess what? God is not going to share our loyalty with anything. He won't share it with ourselves. You're more loyal to him than you are to yourself. You're more loyal to him than you are to the world. You aren't more loyal to him than whatever your fleshly desires are. I mean, why would or should God share, his, share our affections and service with anything, in a, you know, anything else? I mean, if, if we're going to concentrate our service on something, concentrate it on the greatest good. God. He, he deserves our loyalty. He deserves our service. And so then, knowing the motivation that we have for serving Him, when we do serve Him, then the third main point today, Joshua speaks about the attitude that underlies our service. What's our attitude when we serve God? You know, it's one thing to say with our mouths, oh yeah, I'll serve God. And then we go off the rest of the week doing our own thing. It's one thing to say it with our lips, but it's a whole other thing to do it and do it with the right attitude flowing because they flow from the right motivations. When you have messed up motivations, your attitude's going to be all sorts of messed up. But if my motivation is right, my attitude's going to be right in serving God. If my motivation is selfish, then when things don't go my way, I'm going to act like a complaining, murmuring brat. But if my motivations are in alignment with God and His Word, then I'm going to joyfully serve Him in whatever capacity He places me in. And there's a few descriptions that Joshua gives about what our attitude is like 
when we serve God. The first attitude is it, it is devout. It is a devout attitude. In verse 1, it says to serve God with sincerity, and most of the translations will translate it that way. That, that word refers to completeness. It refers to totality. It's talking about don't be kind of double-minded. Don't be wiffle-waffle, going back and forth in your service to God. You're, you're not just saying that you will serve God, you, and, and then you go off and you feed your selfish desires and worldly desires. You say you're going to serve God. You actually go and serve God, and you do it wholeheartedly. You don't treat service to God in a light way. You know, as the saying goes, if you're going to do something, do it right. If you're going to serve God, do it right. Do it biblically. And then closely related to that, that at part of the attitude is the second part of the attitude. It is consistent. It is consistent. In verse 14, it says to serve God in faithfulness. Some versions will say serve God in, in truth. It's talking about being reliable. It's talking about you know, giving your word and, and sticking to it. It's talking about dedication. It's talking about integrity. When you say you're going to do something, you faithfully see it through. You don't just say, yeah, I'm going to serve the Lord and then just kind of bebop and go along your own way. You go serve the Lord. And so these two descriptions together, they speak of loyalty and dedication, devoutness and trustworthiness, about wholeheartedness, doing things faithfully serve the Lord. Find a way to serve the Lord. Now, you, you've noticed that I haven't given a lot of specifics on how to serve the Lord because, well, there's so many different ways to serve God. Now, one way, and this is only one way, is to serve in the ministries of the church. Now, I know the past couple of years, some ministries have kind of fallen to the wayside, and we're going to try and, and um, bring those back. But there's ministries going on now that you can serve in just a reminder, you can always serve in the nursery. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. See Chad, see Gina. Serve in the nursery. You know, Chad mentioned we're having an Easter carnival. I guess it's two weeks from yesterday. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Sign up. Do it. But if you're going to do it, do it with devoutness. Do it wholeheartedly. If you're going to do it, do it right. You know, when I say that, I'm not saying you do it perfectly. I mean, I, I mess things up all the time. But you do it with the right attitude. And, and I, I'm saying this, and I'm not saying, you know, it, it's something at, at this church. I mean, it's just churches and ministry as a whole. Some people take on this attitude that, well, you know, since ministry is a volunteer thing at the church, I can just kind of slack off. I can just kind of slough it off. I don't have to take it seriously. I'm not getting paid for it. Those other guys, they're getting paid for it. I'm not getting paid for it. So, you know, I don't have to do it wholeheartedly. I don't have to, you know, be, do, do it rightly. I'll, as long as I'm a warm body, right? I don't have to actually put any effort into it, do I? I mean, it's just the church. Do you realize that the church is the bride of Christ? And you're going to talk that way about his bride? And you think he's going to be happy about it? 
You think that you can serve his bride in a half-hearted, nonchalant, really don't care, hey, I'm just a volunteer, I don't get paid for it kind of attitude? Would you go to your job with that kind of attitude and still have a job? Are you going to say that you're going to serve your job more faithfully than you serve God? As Vody Bauckham says, if you can't say amen, you've got to say ouch. Do you think that God's church is somehow on a lower level than everything else? You'd put more effort into the worldly than you would the eternal, the spiritual? I mean, when you serve the church, you're serving God. You're serving God through the church, the, or the conduit. And so isn't he worth the effort? Do you think his bride is that less important than anything else? If you're going to serve God through the church, do it right. Wholeheartedly, faithfully. But now on a different rabbit trail, you don't have to wait for the church to set things up in order to serve God. You can go out in the community and find ways to serve God yourselves. Find someone in need. Find a charity that needs help. The church is one outlet, but it's not the only outlet. But the question is, if you are serving God, are you doing it with the right motivations? And are you doing it with the right attitude? And so Joshua gives them the choice. In verse 15, he tells them, choose this day whom they will serve. Are you going to serve Yahweh God, or are you going to serve other gods? And so the Israelites, they give kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, we'll serve Yahweh. And Joshua kind of makes, it sounds like a very astonishing statement to us in verse 19, but he's making a point. You know, he tells them in verse 19, ah, you're not able to serve Yahweh. And he's not going to forgive you either. He's not, you know, it's, it, he, he's, he's using that kind of, it's kind of shock and awe. Because he's challenging them to really think about what they're committing to. This is not something to take lightly. If you're going to say, you serve the Lord, you better think about it. Or as Christ put it, in the Gospels, you better count the cost. Because it is not something to be taken lightly. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I'll serve the Lord. I'll fill, I'll fill a spot. I'm, I'm a warm body. Whatever. This is serving God. In the name of the Lord. And so Joshua said, look, you have this choice. And then even after that, they said, yes, we will serve Yahweh. You know the rest of the story, eh, kind of a roller coaster for them. But this is what Joshua said. I mean, you, you do you. You choose for you. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do that. He stepped up. He spoke for his house. Men, are you going to serve the Lord? Is your house going to serve the Lord? If your house is going to serve the Lord, you need to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's not just religious lip service. It's actually serving God. Yes, while serving others on this earth, but in his name. That would be their worship. They would have the right motivations. They would do it with the right attitudes. They wouldn't just lounge around. They wouldn't, wouldn't give their service to meaningless things. We are going to serve God because that has eternal consequences. So you have a choice before you. And, and I've heard this choice put this way as 
basin theology. What in the world is that? Okay, from two different stories in the Bible. You know the story of Pilate. He had a chance to acquit Jesus. But he called for a basin with water. He washed his hands of the whole affair. I want nothing to do with this. And go. On the other hand, on the night before he was crucified, Jesus took a basin of water and he proceeded to wash the feet of his disciples as an example of service. Which basin are you going to choose? I mean, yeah, sure, you could kick back, have a life full of ease and comfort. You could serve yourself all the delights that the world has to offer. You could try and wash your hands of the responsibilities that you have before God. But you know what? You were made for so much more. You were saved for so much more than that. Why waste your serve on things of selfishness, things of the pleasures of this world, when you have a holy, loving God calling you to his service after all he's done for you in Jesus Christ? So, Christian, choose you this day whom you will serve. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's going to be up to you for the rest of it. Come to the altar and settle that decision. But if you've never trusted in Christ, you're serving yourself, you're serving the world, and you're serving the devil. Well, I'm not serving the devil. Listen, if you're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, you're serving the devil. There's no other choices out there. And so you need to choose this day whom you will serve. Are you going to go on and serve yourself for the rest of your life and then on the day that you die reap the consequences of that service, worship, because you're worshiping yourself? Or will you give yourselves to the service and worship of Jesus Christ who died for you? who rose again to give you eternal life so that you can be in his presence for all of eternity. Serve yourself. Serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Mud pie. Steak dinner. Temporary, leading to destruction. Eternal, leading to glory. Choose you this day whom you are going to serve. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.